This is not just a fairy tale. Uh, no, this, these events actually happen just as they are written in God's Word. Last week we saw how uh, Joseph shaved his head and, and uh, dressed up to come before Pharaoh and, and how uh, our appearance does matter. Whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. And uh, I'm not going to review that, but uh, um, Joseph tells uh, Pharaoh that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And uh, Joseph tells Pharaoh uh, of a plan to put back 20% of the grain during those seven years of plenty so they will have grain for the famine that's to come. And and Pharaoh uh, blesses Joseph. Matter of fact, he exalts him (laughs) much more than I can ever imagine or think. I mean, it's kind of like an overkill when you read the story, like, whoa. Uh, But it shows you how burdened Pharaoh was and how he could see God uh, in Joseph and that he was being used by God. I don't think Pharaoh here was a believer. Uh, It doesn't indicate that, but certainly um, he sees God is with Joseph. Let's begin reading now in verse 42. And uh, then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without uh, your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, Zibnath uh, Paneah, and he gave him a wife, Azanath, and daughter of uh, Potiphar. I'm glad I don't have to do these uh, too many times. Priest of On. So Joseph went uh, out over all the land of Egypt. In other words, he got busy. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the Uh, Seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly, or literally handfuls. So he gathered up all the food of every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as a sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. 
So all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. And we're going to see at the end of the message, we need to go to Jesus. Whatever he says uh, to you, do. The famine was over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Rather lengthy reading this morning, but I think very beneficial. And so Joseph uh, is faithful and does a wonderful job of of, uh, what, what Pharaoh has given him to do. He uh, is a hard worker. And uh, we saw last week that Joseph was in the world, but he was not of the world. He uh, became so much like the Egyptians uh, in one way, and yet did not take part in their evil deeds, in their uh, gods, worshiping their gods, and so forth. And so we can see how God used Joseph. And by the way, he can use you too. Okay? Uh, If God used Joseph, brought him up out of prison, and did all this, then he can use you in some way. Uh, And he used Joseph to feed the known world at that time. And so, wow, when you read this, it's just, it's it's amazing. And I want to see several lessons this morning that we can learn as a congregation, some of these uh, uh, might be repetitious in, in, in what I've already said in the past, but that's okay too, because repetition aids learning. That's why uh, you can read Romans or any other book over and over and over again. Don't say, well, I've read that. I don't need to read that again. No, because God can speak to us as we uh, study his word and um, speak uh, truth to our hearts. And uh, so, first thing we want to see is prosperity and adversity are both from God. That's pretty much the, uh, the title of, of uh, the message that, that I had for this. In other words, in good times and bad times, they're both from God. And uh, Joseph says in verse 28, going back, of chapter 41 says God has shown Pharaoh what he God is about to do and what is that it'd be seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine both were from God and uh, some uh, Christians you know I think have a, a problem with this explaining this uh, they say well you know good things now come from God but uh, bad things don't come from God. And they have trouble, I think, putting those two things together. And I do too, frankly. I mean, it's really one of those things that uh, you just have to trust God for and uh, not try to explain them uh, so much. But uh, when we look at the, someone like the, uh, in the life of Job, after all he went through, he said... Uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he gives and he takes away. Blessed be his name. And so we need to learn from that. Uh, So there are many strange views, by the way, of 
of the world. Not, these are not Christian views, but uh, we as Christians sometimes can get caught up in the world's understanding of what's going on. The first one is the mindless point of view uh, that says, I don't care why things happen the way they do. I don't care about who or what is behind it. I only care about myself living from day to day, making sure I survive in this world. In other words, just I'm an animal and it's survival of the fittest and I'm going to make sure that uh, I am taken care of. Uh, it's kind of like uh, I'm going to uh, kill or be killed uh, attitude. It's, it's a mindless point. Uh, of you. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32, and Paul says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. And that's true. If this is all nonsense, we're wasting our time. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, for, for tomorrow you're going to die, and it's going to be the end of everything. That's the mindless point of view. But, of course, as Christians, we know that is not uh, the case at all. Uh, they leave God out. Don't leave God out of your life. Then there's the fatalistic point of view. Uh, that's kind of like throwing dice. Uh, whatever will be, will be. Kesara, Sarah, uh, the future is not ours to see, and we know that song. Well, the future is ours to see. We know the future, and we know who holds the future. We know uh, our inheritance to come. We look forward to, the, to Zion. We look forward to the heavenly city and being with God forever and ever. So uh, the fatalistic view, though, sees chance, luck. Uh, good fortune. Uh, and they say, well, there is really no uh, personal God, so I don't take anything personally uh, because it's just fatalistic and there's uh, no one to blame, no one to look to. It's just fatalism, and that's sad. Then there's the humanistic point of view. Uh, uh, if and this, of course, humanistic is man-centered. And that says, well, if prosperity comes, then man did something right. We need to pat ourselves on the back and say, well done, self. I am uh, great. I have done wonderful things. I, I, it's the humanistic-centered outlook. And when you, when you look at things, even like the Olympics, it's all about man and man's achievements. God is left out of it all. He's not given credit for making me fast or anything else. It's me. It's all about me. It's humanism. And that's a, sh that's a shame. Uh, you know, all man has to do is to figure it out and then it will work. Even if it takes millions of years which is, you know, according to those people, it's taken millions of years. And one day we will arrive and uh, without God's help, thank you. But no, what does the scripture say? 
Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. We need God. And you know what is amazing is these people, these people that deny God are still blessed by God. The very air they breathe, the very sunshine that they soak up. Uh, then there's a naturalistic view, uh, point of view. Uh, the reason things are happening this way is because of global warming. Everything, you know, well, we could call it the Al Gore, maybe, uh, view. But uh, you just have, have to look at uh, uh, nature. Uh, everything happens because of nature. And, of course, we've heard of what? Mother nature. I mean, that's really sick. Uh, <laughs> but I guess that's what they think is we've all come from nature, just nature. And, uh, and so Mother Nature gets blamed for everything. Have you ever noticed that on TV? Boy, Mother Nature wasn't good to us today. What? <laughs> See, there is no supernatural to those people. They would say, you know, the parting of the Red Sea was only a natural occurrence, if it even happened at all. But what do we find in, in Exodus 14, verses 21 through 22? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. Now, see, he used the wind, but the Lord did it. The Lord drove it back and turned it into dry land. The, Lord is, uh, the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That's what you call supernatural. No natural wind that I know of uh, is capable of doing that unless God causes that to happen. You know... Uh, there are first causes, second causes, and so forth, but it would be like a, a policeman seeing a gun beside a dead body and saying, the gun did it. Well, it was the instrument, but did the gun do it? Absolutely not. Uh, nature is not the first cause. It has no mind. The gun has no mind, right? Uh, somebody is behind what happens. Uh, who was using that gun to bring about those circumstances? And so the Christian looks beyond uh, nature and see God is in it. He is the sustainer, uh, the creator and sustainer of all things. Uh, this is what Jesus th thought and taught. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, uh, in verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes, that is, uh, your Father in heaven causes his Son. You know, not nature's Son, not, no, no, his Son to rise on the evil, notice, and the good. See, they, they're being blessed by God, even though they're evil, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not like when there's a big rainstorm, the Christian gets the, the rain on his crops, but across the street, the unbeliever doesn't. No. He causes the rain to fall on the just 
and non-just. And then there's the dualistic point of view. And this is held sadly by some Christians, I think, uh, that when good things happen, it is God. When bad things happen, it is the devil. Now, some of these overlap each other, uh, so uh, be aware of that. But this is the, the idea that the devil did it. You know, God really didn't want that to happen, but it happened anyway. Nonsense. You know, that would be like saying if a hurricane uh, blows a church down or the roof off of it, uh, well, that's the devil. And when enough funds to rebuild the church come in, well, that's God. So, see, we, we as humans uh, mix man in, in these things. No, God is in control. He's in control. Go back and read the book of Job and you'll see that. But see, that's the the dualistic view. There is a power called God and then there's a power called the devil. And they're fighting this great war and we don't really know who's going to win and we'll have to wait to the end. No. That's nonsense. Pure nonsense. We have a God who is almighty. He is all power. And the devil, devil's power is derived from him. And uh, his, uh, God's power is over all things. Everything is under the providential care of God. Never forget that. Uh, and yet, it's easy, isn't it, uh, to forget it. Uh, and of course, this view, I think, reveals uh, something about man's heart. Dualism is a man-centered theology. This is where you believe God exists for your happiness and that God will always act in accordance with that rule. Well, God does love you and all things are working together for good, but that doesn't mean that everything's going to make you happy that happens to you and that God isn't in that. No, God is in everything. And we need to understand that and rest in that. Uh, and not be happy just when good things happen, but to be happy when bad things happen. Not to rejoice, jump up and down, but to be able to say, you know what, I don't understand it, may not ever understand it, but I know God's in it. Amen. It's exactly right. God is in it for a purpose. And um, so Satan, remember, was used by God to torment Paul. And what did Paul say? It was for a reason, to bring humility. Not happiness. Matter of fact, Paul asked that the thorn in the flesh be taken away. But what did, what did God say? My grace is sufficient. And he rejoiced that in his weaknesses, the power of God would be uh, exhibited. Uh, yet God is behind all events to carry out his purpose. And uh, 
Someone said, Satan brings it, but God sends it. Think about it that way. Yes, Satan brings it, but it was God who sent it for a purpose. All things are working together for your good. That is, even evil is working together for you. I don't, you know, I, I don't have a, uh, a ten-point explanation of that. I'm not sure you can really, in our feeble mind, ever understand how all that is going up. But I think the scriptures are filled with that. We could look at all the verses on the providence of God, and, uh, and it might be a good thing to do. But let's just look at a few of them. Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. I am the Lord. He is the great I am. And there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Whoa. See? He blesses those who curse him. He gives them strength, though you have not acknowledged me. And he does that for us, too. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I formed the light and create darkness. I bring woe. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. All these things. It's not... There's no Satan loose who is, is just free to do whatever he wants to. That is not uh, scripture. That is not correct. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 verse 13 through 14 says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Ha ha, there it is. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In other words, it's not going to be happy, happy, happy all the time. If it was happy, happy all the time, you'd probably get tired of being happy, happy, happy all the time. You might say, well, you know, I'd like to try that. But, but you know what? He's teaching us all things. You know, Al and what he's going through, it's, it's and yet God, there's a purpose behind that. And I think we have already seen that in how he's taken this and dealing with this. So he's behind all events. And we must believe in the providence of God. All things are working together for our good. The second observation uh, will not take as much time as the first observation. But I think... Godly living in a pagan society requires discernment and choosing our battles wisely. Egypt had a caste system, and Joseph was at the bottom of this system. He was a slave. And uh, 
After slaves came skilled tradesmen, the builders, the artists, the scribes, and so forth. And above that class was, believe it or not, the military. And Potiphar was one of those. And then the highest class under Pharaoh was the priestly class. So religion was very important in, uh, in these, with these people. And so there was the priestly class. And uh, then came Pharaoh. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Joseph was put into the priestly right behind Potiphar. By no accident, by the way. And so he married into a priestly family. Uh, uh, very high class, considered uh, as he was. Joseph uh, certainly, of course, did not worship the false gods of Egypt, uh, but he did become a part of their culture, and uh, he dressed like they dressed, and uh, he fit in. He fit in. But he also picked his battles. He picked his battles wisely. And so the important thing, I believe, is how we live, how we think, how we talk, how we walk. These are the major issues in the Christian life. It's not all the other stuff that Christians get confused with, which is what we talked about last week. Dress is one of them. Uh, Hairstyles, jewelry, uh, you name it. We major on the minors and minor on the majors. That's what's wrong with Christians today. They're not majoring on what they should be majoring on, which is godly living, living holy lives before the lost. And that's what Joseph was doing. Uh, uh, He was uh, greatly used by God. Also, we see... Thirdly, because of sin, there is no perfect political system on earth. You know, I hate to uh, bust your bubble here, but there is no perfect political system on earth. You know, communism would be great if everybody was good. It doesn't work because people are evil. That's why it doesn't work. And, of course, communism is an idealistic view of man, that man is basically good and unselfish and uh, everyone will help everyone else and look out for other people and, and work hard and plant food and put it into a, a common storage where everybody can get from it. Uh, no, man is lazy. Man is sinful. Man thinks of himself. That's why it doesn't work. Uh, making everyone equal, uh, that everyone deserves the same amount of, of the pie, and the pie is only so big, and, but everybody deserves an equal share. No, the pie is limitless. Uh, the pie is huge. And you, if you don't work, you don't eat, is what the scripture says. Uh, and so... We as Christians uh, need to be hard workers uh, in that respect. Have you ever noticed, too, that uh, to show the, the 
sinfulness of man's heart that he's not out for other people. Have you ever noticed when a hurricane is coming, what happens? Go to the store and try to buy some. People that have city water that don't need water, all the water's gone. And those that have wells can't buy it because everybody has gone in and just taken stuff and they don't even need it. And yet, oh, we might do it. And they just, you see, because man is evil. It's not like, do you really need this? I'll be glad for you to take that bottle of water. There have been people shot over stuff. And that's what you call anarchy. And it could get that bad someday. It really could in this country. Let's pray that it doesn't. Uh, but uh, let's, we don't need to fear or to panic. But uh, And then, of course, the other extreme would be capitalism. And, uh, boy, if everybody was capitalistic and uh, you had good people, uh, that everything would be wonderful. No, I'm sorry, it wouldn't. Why? Because there is no perfect system, and man is corrupt. Uh, Man cheats, man steals, man's lazy. And notice in verse 56, it says, in, in chapter 41, it says, Joseph sold the grain. Did you notice that? In other words, all this grain, the people said to Pharaoh, we're hungry, and he said, go to Joseph. But notice, Joseph doesn't just open the granaries and say, everybody take what they want. It would be like the grocery stores. They'd be empty because everybody would grab and, and, and make sure they had theirs even more than they needed. No, it says that they had to buy it. You see, that was the way he took care of that, that problem. No, they, they, uh, uh, they didn't waste it. They did not take advantage of the system. But uh, I remember working in a restaurant, and uh, it was a smorgasbord. And I may have used this illustration before. If I have, forgive me. But the people would come through, and they had a salad plate. It was a huge thing, you know. Well, they helped their own salad. But we as waiters would carry the plates to the table and seat them, get their drinks, and so forth. But some of those, and there was pretty nice salads on the salad bar, and they'd go through, and some of the, the food would be piled up 10 inches high, and I couldn't even hardly carry it. And then when you'd go, after they had left the restaurant, and look at the table, they had not even touched what was on the plates. Not even touched it. But, you see, they wanted to make sure that the restaurant wasn't going to make any money and that they, they were going to get theirs. And See, that's man's evil heart. And uh, taking advantage of the system. So it, there is no uh, a perfect system. What happens when man is given free handouts and doesn't have to work for it? A lot of stuff. And it's usually bad. Uh, renters have torn houses apart before they moved out, etc., etc. Man is by nature evil, and uh, they usually destroy it. And then we see uh, 
we should always bear our afflictions with the knowledge that God is able to make us forget them. Wow. Joseph bore his afflictions, how he had been treated by his brothers. But did you notice how he named his sons, which is interesting. One was Manasseh. That means God has caused me to forget all my toil in all my father's house. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't think about it, but what he's saying is the pain of that is gone. In other words, I'm not holding against my brothers. I'm not, uh, it's, you know, God has taken it away. And uh, we have a promise one day that all tears will be wiped away as well. But anyway, he... Uh, in, in naming Ephraim too uh, noticed in that uh, Joseph believed God and rested in the fact um, that uh, God was in control that God was with him God had blessed him God was taking care of him this is an amazing man, this man Joseph. And then lastly, Joseph uh, takes the initiative uh, and gets busy collecting the grain. He gets busy. He gets busy working. He was preparing against this day of famine. And, uh, but what about preparing for the day of judgment? We can sort of see how we might be in this life preparing for a coming economic collapse where we put money in the bank and we have uh, CDs, we have savings, we have life insurance, we have...